evening. It is one message geared toward one theme. And what I want to look at tonight is considering the cross and the curse. And we just got finished singing songs relating around the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, uh, the victory that he's given us over the grave, the victory over the death, all of these different things. And, and the reality is, guys, we need to understand, yes, there's a curse that is on mankind. The curse came in the garden when Adam and Eve took the fruit, and, and from that point forward, there's the curse. We're going to touch on many of that, much of that tonight. But one of the realities that we need to understand, it may be cursed, the earth is cursed, and we have that sin curse in us. But man, we have the victory through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that means the victory over everything, not just eternal life. The things that we deal with every single day in this life, most of it is our fault. We do most of it ourselves. okay? Let's go ahead and make that crystal clear tonight. We give the devil too much credit. Uh, we give others too much credit. We really and truly probably bring the majority of our issues on. I know that's definitely true for me, all right? But the reality is this, I still have a, I am still a victor in my life here and beyond. I'm a victor not because of who and what I am. I'm a victor because of what and who he is, what he's done for me. And we just got through finishing, we just finished songs that all gear around that particular Point. So we're going to come out of John 19, and we're going to bounce all over the place this evening. And uh, so John chapter 19, verses 1 through 3 says this, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they smote him with their hands. So there's a lot going on in those first three verses in John 19. And we understand the day is the crucifixion day. Uh, they're going to take him. They're going to scourge him, it says. Uh, that word scourge is to flog someone. But literally speaking, the word scourge means to pull apart. So if you were to make a scourge, you're taking pieces of leather and you are pulling them apart into, into other pieces of leather, the way it eventually looks much like a, uh, much like a horse's tail, if you will, Okay. And a kind of a cauda, it's a, it's a cauda shape. Well, inside the scourge, uh, uh, the Romans would intertwine pieces of bone and metal and stone. And when the victim was there on the post, and they took this scourge and they laid it across their back, all of those pieces of material would dig into the flesh. And instead of following through like a whip, they would pull and the flares of the skin would flay apart. It's a great way to open the sermon up tonight, isn't it? A great picture. Consider the cross tonight because of the curse is what we're thinking about. Stripping things away. They said it platted a crown of thorns. I've seen men preach before and they said they platted a crown of thorns. That's not what platted means, okay? Platted means to braid. Now, ladies, you all knew that already, okay? Uh, but plat means to braid. And those soldiers would take a long piece of thorns and, they, and maybe four or five uh, rows of those things and they would, they would begin to braid them and braid them and they would literally make like a laurel, if you will, a crown and they placed it down, I'm sure, with quite, quite great strength upon our Savior's head. But did you know the Lord Jesus Christ just days before, just days before all of this was happening, spoke of what was going to happen in Jerusalem. He prophesied the third time, mind you. In Matthew chapter 20, he says this in verse 19, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. Now here's the deal. <laughs> 
You ever listen, you ever sit there, talk to someone, and then when you leave, you don't remember a word they said? This is the disciples. He said, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be scourged. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be done. All of this is going to happen. But listen, I'm going to, I'm going to come back the third day. And they completely sidetracked. This is the third account where Jesus Christ prophesied. Now, Jesus Christ was crucified on a Wednesday at 9 a.m. He was buried in the grave no later than 6 p.m. or sundown on that same day Wednesday. He spent three nights and three days in the grave. And at sundown or 6 p.m. on a Saturday, he rose from that grave victorious. That is the Passion Week, if you will. There is no such thing as Good Friday. I don't care what kind of math you do. You ain't getting three days and three nights from Friday, even if you do say it was Sunday morning. That doesn't exist. But scripturally speaking, biblically speaking, we know exactly the day that he was crucified. My goodness, Mary shows up on the first day of the week while it was yet dark and the stones already rolled away and he's already resurrected, amen. So we know it wasn't even a Sunday morning. No sense for a sunrise service. Sunrise services have their origins, guys, all the way back to the book of Ezekiel where they were actually worshiping Tammuz, which is the considered to be the reincarnated Nimrod, the son of Nimrod. But that's another story for another time. Jesus Christ gave the same prophecy in Caesarea Philippi, Matthew 16, 21, and then he said it again in Matthew 17 and 22 and 23. He foretold the events of his crucifixion day. Uh, the disciples were forewarned. They should have known all of the events that were occurring if they would have just listened. Can I say this to you this, this evening that the scourging, as bad as that is, even though he prophesied it, guys, Jesus Christ is also soundboarding his own words that he instituted and gave to his Old Testament prophets. The scourging had to happen. Most men did not live past two or three scourges. Why? Matter of fact, when Paul was, a, uh, was arrested in, there in Jerusalem, uh, the chief captain said, we're going to examine him by scourging. What that means is they're going to put you on the scourging block. We're going to scourge you. We're going to hit you, and you're going to tell us the truth. And for the second time, Paul reached down in his pocket, and he grabbed that Roman citizenship card out, and he said, hey, whoa, hang on a second. And he got nervous because they'd already bound a man that was it was unlawful to bind a Roman citizen, uncondemned. A scourging, guys, most people did not live past the third or fourth lick of a scourging. But it had to occur. The beatings had to take place. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5 tells us, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. You think about what he did for you. You think about what he's doing for you. You think about what he's going to do for you in a life yet to come. And it's through his stripes that we're healed. The crown of thorns, it had to occur. Why a crown of thorns? You ever thought about that? Have you ever thought, well, if they wanted to really, really, really mock him out, why not get a real crown and put it on his head? They put a purple robe on him. Do you know why it was purple? Purple was the color of royalty. Purple was, you remember Lydia of Thyatira that, we, that Paul finds in, in Acts chapter 16? He comes to her. He's the first convert that Paul has in, in Philippi. And she was a seller of purple. She was a very wealthy woman because her clientele were the wealthiest people in the city, in that, in that Roman colony. They put that robe on him. They put a staff in his hand. They knelt before him, and they mocked him. Hell, king of the Jews. So why not put a real crown on him? 
You see, beloved, the, it had to be a crown of thorns because it is the original sin in the garden that brought forth thorns in the first place. Genesis in chapter 3 tells us this in verse 17. And unto Adam he said, Behold, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In other words, Adam, it's your fault. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. Thorns are a result of sin. It's a constant painful reminder of mankind's falling away from a perfect God, and watch this, in a perfect environment. Oh, if our environment would just be better, everybody would be better. Really? Really? I mean, it's a perfect environment. And they still transgressed against God. Thorns are not a symbol of sin, but rather they were a consequence of sin. Proverbs in 22 uh, verse 5 tells us thorns and snares are in the way of the froward. And, doth keep his, uh, and he that keep, keep his soul shall be far from them. You know what froward means? Froward means twisted. It means distorted. It, it, it means perverted or perverse or, uh, it, you know, it, it means crooked. And, and so the Lord, it means wicked and vile. So, so what the Lord is saying here, that the froward man or woman, the froward person, uh, their ways are crooked, they're twisted, they're distorted. They're, I mean, they're, and look at our world today. Good night, man. Did you ever think in your life that you would see a more distorted view of human life than the world that we're living in today? And I got news for you. It's going to get worse. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ compared false prophets and false preachers to thorns. He said in Matthew 7, uh, verse, uh, Matthew 7, verse 15 through 16, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are raving wolves. You shall know them by their fruit. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? You don't gather grapes in the midst of thorns. You don't get the fruit. You don't get good fruit of figs and grapes in the midst of thorns. You don't do that. That's what he's saying. He's saying those false prophets. And guys, listen, our world is, you better be careful who you're listening to. Let me say this to you tonight, Okay. You better be careful with your YouTube and your TikTok and all this and that, all right? Because there are men out there who are seeking to do nothing but deceive you by taking the Word of God and twisting it all the way up. I saw, I saw a guy post something the other day. I saw it today, actually. And it was Proverbs 22.6. And I, I can't even think of whatever it said was a complete distortion of the actual verse. The actual verse is train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he shall not depart from it. And this had something off the wall about prayer and coming to God. Not even remotely what the Holy Scripture says. I'm telling you right now, you better be careful where you park your boat. You better be careful where you lean your ears down. And I've said this, I've said this for nigh unto 30 years. If I preach anything from this pulpit and you go home and you dig around and it doesn't, hey, listen, it ain't Gene and Han with you or it ain't copacetic with you, you come to me and talk to me about it. And I promise you this, if I misrepresent the word of God, if I say something out of context or by mistake, I'll be the first one to admit it. 
But even when I don't like it, when the Word of God says what it does and it stings me in the heart and it stabs me right here and gets me right there, I would rather side, I'd rather be on the side of the Holy Scriptures and preaching the truth than that which does not. I, it, it, it's, it's clear, it's a devilish act to pervert the Word of God. And Jesus died even for them. He wore, he wore a crown this day, a crown of the consequence of sin, which pierces the mind, body, and the soul. The very sin that he was paying the price for, yet not his own. The Bible tells us, for he hath made him, he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Think about this for a second. If I was right here and I had a, I, had a per, I mean, like this was a, no, this is an old gelé. You don't want it. But I'm just let's just let's just play along. If I had this thing was perfect, it's going to keep you warm. It's clean. It never gets dirty. Never stinks. I mean, it's perfect. And then you had a ragtag shirt on, and I said, Natalie, here's the deal. You know what? I've, this is mine. But I'm going to take this off, and this is yours. You t- give me yours, and I'm going to put it on, and then you put mine on, and you can have it. And I'm going to walk around in this ragtag, stinky, holy shirt. That's a very dirty illustration of what the Lord did. He took his pure, perfect righteousness, his sinless self, and said, I'm going to give it to you. Wallace, I'm going to take all of your stank, and I'm going to put it on me. All of your sin, I'm going to take it right here. I don't even know the sin. I've never done it, never committed it. I don't expect, Jesus Christ never experienced sin of himself. We can't fathom that. Why? Because we got the sinful blood. His blood was perfect. Oh, my soul, man. Consider the cross tonight. Consider the curse that put him there. Consider the Christ, which means anointed one. You know, he was aligned amongst the guilty. The innocent with the guilty. Back in John 19, it tells us there, verse 18, it says, uh, where they crucified him and two other with him uh, on either side one and Jesus in the midst. So why couldn't it just been him? Well, it had to happen. Isaiah 53, verse 12 tells us uh, very clearly, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul into death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession, watch this with me please here, for the transgressors, plural. You know the beautiful part about that right there? Not only does this tell us very clearly that he's numbered amongst the transgressors, so here's the plurality plural. He's in the middle of two, yeah? But we know one of them got saved and the other one did not. One said, hey, remember me when, when, the, when you come into paradise. He says, today thou shalt be with me in paradise, right? The other one mocked him out, made fun of him, and he had a one-way trip to hell. This one over here went to Abraham's bosom, paradise. When Jesus Christ was ascended on high, they went with him, all right? That's a dispensational talk for another time. But this last word right here says he, is, he made intercession for the transgressors. So we're given a prophecy here that he's numbered amongst the transgressors, those two thieves on those cross, but now he's making intercession for the transgressors of the whole world, amen. Everyone. My soul, man, that ought to make you want to shout. 
We see it in John 19 again, verses 23 and 24. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. I used this illustration to, to this morning. And, uh, of course, being from America and, and being older and all y'all, um, when I was a little kid, um, and I mean little, little, back in the 70s, I told you Terry Bradshaw, you don't even know who that was last week, so this is, really, this is not going to help at all. But anyway, the Pittsburgh Steelers were like, I mean, they had the, uh, the, this iron curtain defense. Matter of fact, one of those guys just died at 82 years of age uh, today, I saw on the news. But the, the Pittsburgh, they had a guy on there by the name of Mean Joe Green, okay? Big old dude, man. Big old guy, Mean Joe Green. When I was a little kid, we'd be a, I'm Mean Joe Green, right? Oh, it was great. This Coca-Cola advert, this Coca-Cola commercial, uh, Mean Joe Green had his jersey on his, on his shoulder pads walking out of the game. And this kid said, hey, Joe. And he gives him a, remember the glass bottles of Coca-Cola? <laughs> he gives him one of those, and you see on the commercial, he's drinking it and all this and that. And, uh, and he walks off, and, and then he turns around and says, hey, kid. And he takes his jersey and he throws it to the boy. And the boy's like, lit up on fire, right? Sports memorabilia is worth hundreds and thousands and millions of pounds today. You go to, you, you go to an event and somebody wins a championship and for some reason they take their shoe off and they throw it in the crowd and people want it. And they're like, I got a shoe. They're all excited, right? That's one thing. That, guys, that is something I'm going to say is on the positive side. Maybe a little bit idolatrous, but it's on the positive side. Personally, I don't want your stinky jersey, amen. I'll be honest with you. I don't care who you are. These guys are partying lots and gambling for material of a murderous event, an execution, a blood-beaten and battered, in their mind, human being who's on that cross unrecognizable as even a human Pilate put that sign up there, the king of the Jews, and he put it in four or three different languages. A lot of people thought that they put, he put that sign there just to take a jab at the Jews, and that's why he put that sign there. He put it as a testimony so they would understand this is Jesus because he was unrecognizable. His vicious, Isaiah tells us that his vicious is so marred more than any other man. He's unrecognizable as a human being. Can you imagine, Natalie, how blood, this is what you get in front row, sorry. I mean, imagine how blood-soaked the clothing was. And they're gambling for it. They're casting lots for it. What do you think their, Nisi, what do you think their wives are going to do when they show up at home with a blood-soaking piece of garment? They get out of this house, you know? But it had to happen. It had to happen. 
His crucifixion had to take place. The gambling for his garments had to take place. His precious hands and feet had to be take, had to, had to be nailed to the tree. Psalm 22, another messianic psalm in verses 14 through 18 says, I am poured out like water and all of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt and my tongue cleaveth to my jaw and thou hast brought me to the, to the dust of death for dogs have compassed me about. That's those, those, those soldiers. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet that I may tell at all my bones. They look and stare upon me. Watch this in verse 18. They, they part my garments among them and cast lots for my vesture. That's the prophecy being fulfilled that we read about in John 19. His body broken, but yet not a bone his hands and his feet pierced, his garments stripped and gambled for, the population of Jerusalem gaping upon his battered and bleeding flesh. And the real picture, my friend, of what sin brings forth. We have a tendency today to whitewash sin. We have a tendency today to whitewash the crucifixion. We have a tendency to, today to say, well, I'm saved, sealed, sanctified. I'm on the way to heaven. I can do what I want to do. You know how you got saved and sealed and sanctified? You got there by what he went through. Consider the cross and the curse the next time you step out on God. Matter of fact, this is the picture of what sin is. James 1.15 says, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And when sin is finished, didn't say when you're finished. When sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. Man, think about it for just a second, guys. The consequence of sin demanded the cross of Christ. The crown of thorns forced upon his head became an emblem of such result. Do you know the scalp? You have more innervations in the scalp than any other place in your body. You have more blood flow going through there. That's why when you nick yourself just tight, like I cut myself shaving, and I do it all the time, it bleeds like a stuck pig, right? When they took those thorns and he wedged it down upon, every nerve ending in his body was on fire by the time he got to the cross. The result of sin. The consequence of sin demanded the cross of Christ. It demanded the crown of thorns. The emblem of such result. The painful reminder of rebelling against uh, the word of God. The creator looked upon the creation. He saw the tragedy of mankind's choice and, and their broken connection between himself and their darkened heart. And you know what he said? Not I'll start over. I'll pay it. I'll take that. How many of us would do that? How many of us would give up our firstborn, our only child? Man, one person in here would give up their only child for another person on this planet. And you know what? You shouldn't. Right? He that provideth not for his own, the Bible says, worse than an infidel. I will die for my family. Here's what I want you to think about tonight. We're starting to wind down. When you consider the cross, when you consider Christ, when you consider the curse and what he endured during that midweek execution, the Bible tells us in John 3, verse 16, the first part, we're going to stop in the middle, the most read Bible verse in the history of mankind. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We'll stop there. 
Consider the cross with me here this evening. Consider the curse, the crown of thorns. Consider the pain, the anguish, the suffering, the separation of the Father solely because, here's the only reason, because he loved you and I. He endured all that just because of his love for us. Our, our, you know, our people today, they do things for show. Look at me, look at me, right? He did it because he loved us. Jesus describes what true love is. John 15, verse 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. True love is a man. Listen carefully here as we'll finish up John 3, 16. True love is a man, better yet the God-man, paying the price for sins, for sins he did not and could not commit, for a group of people who did commit them, knowing full well that the same people he was dying for, of whom sins they're guilty of, overwhelmingly in the population of mankind, will utterly reject him, mock him, and ignore him their entire life. And he did it anyway. Think about that before we go to the conditional part of John 3.16. And whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. All of creation obeys his voice. I have a litany of verses up here that I want us to read. It's coming out of Psalm 104, and you can just record it in your heart and mind, write it down. But Psalm 104 says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, thou art very great, thou art clothed with honor and majesty. Verse 5, Who laid the foundations of the earth, he's the creator, that it should not be removed forever. Thou coverest it with a deep, with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. Verse 9. Thou hast set a bound that they may not, uh, they may not um, pass over, that they turn not again to cover the earth. Verse 11. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild asses quench their thirst. In other words, he has put the water where it goes and, he, and it doesn't go anywhere at all unless he allows it to do so. Verse 16, I think we got it. Verse 16, we pick up there. It says, the trees of the Lord are full of sap, the cedars of Lebanon, which he hath planted. Verse 19, he hath pointed the moon for season. The sun knoweth his going down. Thou makest darkness, and it is night, uh, wherein all the beasts of the forest do creep forth. Verse 22, the sun arises. They gather themselves together and lay them down in their dens. Verse 23, man goeth forth unto his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are thy works, and wisdom hast thou made all. The earth is full of thy riches. Do you see what we're, we see in Psalm 104? And that's just me kind of cherry picking. You can read the whole chapter and get the full, full vision later on. All of creation, birds and the bees and the sycamore trees, all of creation obeys every word without fail, without contradiction, without hesitation, and every work of God except one part of his creation, mankind. We are the only ones that God says, do this, and we go, no, I'll get to that later on. We are the only ones that God says, pray without ceasing, I will if I have time. We are the only ones uh, where God says, forsake not the assemblies yourself together. Well, I got, I'm busy today. I got something else to do. We are the only ones, and he says, you know, to, to grow in the knowledge of, of the word of God. And he says, wait a second, I, 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 have, I got friends to go meet. And you consider the cross and what he did? You consider the curse that put him there? 
It was upon this cross where he was nailed. His hands and his feet were nailed. But his feet, there's more to it, guys. I feel like one of those infomercials. But wait, there's more. We're almost done. The crucifixion, please keep in mind, was an instrument of cruelty. It was a tool of painful death. It was meant to strike fear in those who witnessed it. And therefore, after they nail the feet to the tree and the hands, a little perch is placed in the section of the heels. A small little, looks like almost a little windowsill. And it was placed there so the person, the victim, if you will, or the criminal, whomever it may be, would not push through the nails while they tried to push up to take a breath in. You die from asphyxiation on a crucifixion because you're hanging like this and you, can't, you collapse the lungs. That's why by the end of the day, if they wasn't dead, they went and broke their legs so they couldn't push up anymore. But there's something interesting about that perch. Something interesting. When the curse was placed upon the earth because of mankind's sin, the window of what was going to happen on the cross of Calvary was set as well. You see, the Lord said unto the serpent that day, because he was a willing participant for Satan, this is what he says in Genesis 3. He says in verse 14, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above cattle, and above every beast of the field, and upon the, uh, thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. Don't, don't skip over thy seed, okay? Remember, the Bible says Judas was a devil. He didn't have a devil. He wasn't possessed by a devil. Jesus Christ said, haven't I chosen 12 of you, and one of you is a devil? Satan's got a seed, my friend. Matter of fact, Jesus Christ said that, 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 uh, that the, he was talking to the Pharisees and the religious, he says, uh, called them, the fa their father was a devil. He's the father of lies. And as your father will do, you're going to do. So don't read over that and skip it and say, oh, there's something spiritual about that. But it finishes up that statement, says it, speaking of the seed, shall bruise thy head. And thou shall bruise his heel. Now, there, there's a prophetical statement beyond the cross for the end of the millennial kingdom that occurs when Satan is finally cast into the lake of fire. But we also find on the day of the crucifixion that the seed of the woman became Jesus Christ. And this bruised heel happened on Calvary as Jesus Christ hung there paying for the curse upon a cross. What he experienced for us. What was fulfilled for us. His death. So how do we sum it up and close tonight? Well, we go to the finished product. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, O death, where is thy sting? Paul says, O grave, where is thy victory? He said, the sting of death is sin. Think about those thorns for a second. And the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When I consider the cross, I have to consider the curse. Without one, the other is unneeded. And because of both, we have a Christ 
And because of Jesus Christ, the sting of death is nullified to those who believe, and the grave is rendered powerless, all because God has given us the victory through the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we finish it up in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, saved born-again believers, because of that victory over death, because of that powerless grave, because of that sting of death being removed, because of what Jesus Christ did, he says, be ye steadfast, unmovable, amen, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain. Oftentimes, guys, it seems like, my goodness, Life is hard, life is difficult, life is dark. Troubles here, troubles there, struggles here, struggles there. Invitations and nobody comes and, and you witness and you pray and you plead and you moan and you groan and, and it just seems like things, uh, sometimes it, it just seems like it's stalemate. But I had someone tell me this morning, they said, I, I feel like there's a, there's a season of change coming. And actually she was referencing the church here. Said it seems like there's there's the spirit is growing. I said hallelujah. I said amen. Beloved, because of what He's done for us, because of who and what He is, we need to be steadfast. High days and low days. We need to be unmovable. High days and low days. We need to always abound in the work of the Lord because our labor is not in vain. No matter what we think today, because of the cross, as a result of the curse, we have a Christ who loves us enough to lead God and direct us through this life, no matter what happens around us. Amen? If you bow your heads. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for who and what you are. We thank you, dear God, today. We want to lift up the name of Jesus Christ and thank you for the cross for what he endured and even what the Father endured through the separation of this time. Father, we want to lift up the name of Jesus tonight and thank you ever so much for the sweet gift of eternal salvation, knowing that our sins, not just covered as in the Old Testament, but cleansed, removed, separated as far as the east is from the west, cast into God's sea of forgetfulness. We thank you for that tonight. And we ask you this evening, dear God, as we depart one another here momentarily, Father, that we would consider the cross of Christ, the curse that put him there, but remember our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our loving Son of God, who loved us enough to die on that cross for us. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen and amen.